Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring on the Podcasts. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson, and we are recording this on Wednesday night. It's halftime in the K-State Baylor game and, and just didn't want to watch the, the second half of that. Uh, Eric Rubotam is here with us. Eric, how are you? Well, I'm better now that I'm on a computer on a podcast <laughs> instead of watching that monstrosity. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And K-State's got a, an interesting game Saturday. Um you know, it, it is probably the most winnable game left on the Kansas State schedule, but it's obviously uh, the most winnable game on an AM schedule as well, Texas A&M. So we brought on the beat writer for Texas A&M for the Brian Conversation Eagle, Travis Brown. Travis, how are you? How's it going, guys? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Mississippi State's pretty bad this year. That might actually be the most winnable <laughs> game on A&M schedule left, but definitely going to be an interesting one Saturday, that's for sure. Are, are we are we oh, Kim. are we lining up for a pillow fight? Is that what we're lining up for? <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be kind of like throwing rocks at a board and seeing how many they can actually get to fall in. Like it's just gonna be a straight up rock fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and so here's the worst part of it, guys. You know, we always talk about how slow Kansas State plays and the adjusted tempo rankings and all that. Texas A&M is actually ranked lower than Kansas State by about 10 spots in the Ken Palm rankings. I think they're like 337th to Kansas State's 327th. So it's going to be super slow, too. <laughs> oh, whatever. This yeah. is going to turn into like an 80-possession game now that we said that. I, if this game turns <laughs> into an 80-possession game, I'll like go streaking through the press conference Zoom or something <laughs> like that because there's just no – I mean, nothing about a and system – or their skill set um, lends itself to having an 80 possession game. And I don't think, I mean, Buzz Williams doesn't want it to be an 80 possession game. So yeah, yeah. I, if it's an 80 possession game, it actually might be uh, something enjoyable for both fan bases to watch. It's not going to get there. <laughs> yeah. And we just can't have that this year. Both teams are probably going to be so tired by the time they get to 60 possessions that it's never going to make it to 80. So. <laughs> I believe, if I am not mistaken, and I'm pulling this up, at least as of before the LSU game, Texas A&M in their last three games was like third to last in the conference in possessions, or in the country in possessions. I think the LSU Jeez. game skewed that a little bit. Now they're they're at 300 and – or, you know, they're about they're – about 15 down now but in the three games prior to that a&m was the third lowest in the country in number of possessions they're at 65.3 in the last three games and 67 points for this season hmm. speedy yeah so yeah texas a&m i mean they're not quite k-state levels of bad they, they still did go i think five and one in non-con so they're seven and seven overall but they're two and six in the sec and they're I've seen some stories about, you know, how they've been kind of on a decline. It seems to be that they're getting pretty concerned down there in Aggieville. Um, you know, uh, what's the what's the level of concern right now, Travis? Well, I don't think there's a whole – concern is, is an interesting word. I, I think it's kind of realization of the fact that this was going to be a pretty massive rebuilding project for Buzz Williams coming in here with kind of where AM was when he inherited inherited the program. And I think that most people expected there to be some growing pains in season one, but the the thing that skewed that was Josh Nebo, the the, the senior post that was just AM's everything last year. I don't even think Buzz Williams necessarily knew what he had in Josh Nebo at the beginning of the season. 
or or the amount that they would use him uh, throughout the season. He was involved in just about every offensive play. He was their heart and soul on defense. And so for, for what was not necessarily a great team and a team that had a lot of growing pains, Josh Nebo provided a lot of ability to kind of skew how much of a rebuilding process they had. So Josh Nebo moves on. He's playing overseas now. They don't have that same kind of physical presence in the post, and they don't have that inside-out game that they had with Nebo before that that kind of helps an offense that has trouble not turning the ball over. And so what you're seeing this year is kind of what I think everyone expected it to be in year one going in year two because they they just are having trouble – acclimatizing to the demands in the system that Buzz Williams wants to run. It's a team that Williams runs a crazy defense. Uh, It's kind of of his own concoction and it's very complicated. And he has that well drilled into these players. They're not a bad defensive team, as you can see by some of the scores. I think they're third best scoring defense in the, in the sec right now, but offensively they just, they, they can't, help themselves from turning the ball over and can't really manage to get themselves anywhere into a game. And then you look at the craziest game I think I've ever of basketball I've ever watched. And that was the LSU game on Tuesday where you have an AM team that usually can't yeah. hit the broad side of the barn who shoots 60% through the middle of the game gets up by six points to LSU. And then with nine minutes and 50 seconds left, they don't score another point for the rest of the game. LSU goes on an 18 run and, and wins it. So it's the weirdest Jekyll and Hyde, not low, low. When I say low maturity, not like in they're doing crazy stuff, but just don't have that kind of mental fortitude of a veteran team that can sustain consistency through the full game, full 40 minutes of the game. Sometimes they put it together and they do really great stuff. Sometimes they look like they normally do and they get absolutely blown out and you just kind of never know which team is going to show up. Yeah, you know, and since you brought up that LSU game, you know, I looked at that, that box score. It was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen because you had no starter that played more than 18 minutes, and you had two guys, Savion Flagg and Quentin Jackson, who came off the bench to score more than 50% of AM's points and even took more than 50% of their shots. How does that happen? Yeah, so <laughs> with this year's edition of Buzz Williams' team, starters don't really mean a lot. Um, he basically, okay. for better or for worse, kind of throws like it, starting is kind of a tip of the hat to the five guys who gave the best effort in practice the days leading up to. And even he did it a little bit against LSU. It really started and he did it a lot in, in the win against Auburn earlier in the season. There's times where Williams will make two five person teams and they practice the entire week leading up to him as these two five person teams that kind of compete against each other. And uh, if when, when one team when or even one player of one team starts letting things down, he does a full five man line change. And so you saw that at the beginning of the LSU game where the starters were out there for like two minutes and didn't make a single field goal while letting LSU get up to a 10 to two lead. I think they turned the ball over twice and he did the full five-man line change. So he, he has – Savion Flag is a starter in all intensive purposes. J.J. Chandler is probably a starter. Quentin Jackson is probably a starter. He was a starter last year. But he's kind of mixed and matched starters with role players on these two teams to keep things interesting. And, and you'll see if, he, if they are doing this line change system, as soon as one of the teams – it's, it's kind of like 
calling next on a pickup game. When, when one of the teams has a string of one or two turnovers, the other team is already kind of standing up and taking the warmups off without Buzz Williams even telling them to, because they know like, Hey, we got to get in there. It's our turn. Now these guys aren't doing it. And to some extent that's worked in some cases, in some cases it hasn't, especially if they get in foul trouble, but yeah, the stat sheet is going to be a little bit skewed as far as bench points, because they really have their starters intermingled between kind of two five man squads. Yeah. Why do you think he's doing that? It goes down. The thing that Williams really believes is, is kind of the biggest problem with why this I want to say problem with this team but problem with why this team hasn't having success is that they haven't had consistent energy and as he likes to call it fights through the week in practice that I don't know he hasn't really elaborated too much into it if it's taking plays off if it's just not having that competitive edge through practice and and so I think he's done it this way to where it's kind of like you're accountable for not only yourself and the way that you play when you're on the floor court, but you're also accountable for the four other guys that are there. So if you're the one guy that is going to, you know, not fully go out and close out on a guy in a three point shot or get on the floor for a loose ball or something, it's not just you that's getting pulled. It's the four other guys around you. And so I think there's a little bit of that level of accountability that like, you know, there's so many little mental errors, little turnovers, little stupid fundamental errors that are happening that the way to tackle it is just accountability. You're not only going to be responsible for yourself, but the other four guys on your team. And if you mess up, everyone comes out. Okay. So to put that in terms that the K-State fans can understand, it sounds like some guys are struggling on the play hard chart. Yes. Bruce Weber talks about. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, I mean, yeah, they do have a, a deep rotation, which is very much antithetical to what Kansas State has been doing lately, especially with all the, the COVID and, and injury issues. And it, it's kind of weird to, to hear that from a team that is, you know, obviously not getting up and down the floor a lot. I mean, do you think that that deep rotation is what he wants to have or, or just is the result of not having the consistency? No, it's it's 100% a result of the consistency. And, and the weird part about it is, like, I can't even necessarily call it a rotation because it's not like you have, it's not a traditional rotation. Like you see where you have starters and then here's your six man. And then these, this, these minutes are divided up between these guys. Like it's sincerely just how many minutes can he get out of guys on the floor before things start tanking or before they start making mental mistakes or kind of lack of fight mistakes, as he might say, just not closing out, getting into rotation too heavily in defense to where it opens up the the, the paint for uh, post-entry passes and things like that. So I, I, no, the answer is no, he, he doesn't want it to exist like this. Um, I think there's a lot of issues and a lot of ways that AM's team is doing things this season that aren't going to be hallmarks of Buzz Williams program moving forward. But I think he is just trying to adapt to what he has in the cupboard right now and find the best way for them to be. I mean, here, here's, here's, here's the case in point. They're not even necessarily, they're not really running offensive sets for two years. Now they have had such problems with turning the ball over that because Williams is such a just, uh, mathematically minded kind of guy, the formula to win says they have to get the ball on the rim, whether that's a miss or a make. So 
you'll see a lot of times where they'll dribble down, pass once to the wing, pass it back and jack up a three, or they'll try a little bit of a high pick and roll to open things up. But, but I mean, it's, it's kind of like a pickup motion offense to where they're just doing what they can to quickly get a shot up and hope that they get an offensive rebound because they've had that much trouble getting through offensive sets. So yes, this isn't going to be what Buzz Williams program looks like in the future. He's just trying to um, mold something that is successful with the pieces that he has right now. That sounds like our offense, but we pass it six or seven times before we back up a bad three. So. <laughs> yeah. But, but unlike the Kansas State offense, Texas A&M actually has a seemingly a pretty good defense to complement it. They're 71st in the Ken Palm adjusted tempo defense rankings compared to 198th on offense. So that's a pretty major difference. Um, and then, you know, one of the big things it seems like on offense, and you, you talked about it, is the shooting. They're under 30% from three. That, that's obviously going to be an issue. And we've seen K-State teams shoot that poorly in the past, and a lot of times that results in teams playing a lot of zone against them and just daring them to shoot. Is Texas A&M starting to see that? Yes, but that's it, – it's – again, it's a weird, weird thought process in the system right now. You, you just – you can't think about the way that Buzz Williams is running this team right now in normal college basketball terms because they're doing some weird okay. things just to try to, to make it work. So, yeah, they're, they're, they have a horrible three-point percentage, and they're actually hoisting up a decent amount of three-point attempts this year. But that goes back to the idea of the offense is more inclined to, like, let's get the ball to this one guy in this one position – and let everyone else on the court get into a good rebounding position. He's going to shoot the ball. We're kind of going to expect that he's going to miss it, but hopefully all of our bigs will be in good rebounding positions that will get the offensive rebound and get the high percentage shot down low. So again, it's kind of a skewed number on the outside because they're, they're probably taking shots that necessarily they wouldn't, I don't want to say they wouldn't want to take because they're, they're not, you know, contested shots, but they're just not necessarily trying to work it down low uh, or work any kind of inside out game because they don't really have that kind of game. It's more of let's get balls up and hope we can get offensive rebounds and, and beat the team on all the offensive boards. Well, Eric, I mean, do you think that Bruce Weber might look at that and say, hey, this team can't shoot very well. We can't defend very well. So why not just go zone and let them shoot from the outside? No, because Bruce is too hard headed to do something like that. Well, that's exactly what um, that's what Ole Miss did against them. Is they you know, A&M actually had a little bit of success in the beginning of the game. Ole Miss switched to like a one-three-one zone about five minutes to the end of the half, and, and it just A&M didn't know what to do with it. They just passed it twice and hoisted up a three and missed. And so, yeah, I think I think switching up, going multiple on defense, actually would really confuse A&M's offense, and, and that'd be an easy way to get an upper upper hand on them. It's actually, we've talked about it a lot, right, on on previous podcasts about, you know, K-State doesn't really shoot. They think they shoot the three a lot better than they actually do when it comes to, okay, what do the <laughs> statistics prove out? Yeah. And, and it, it, it really boggles my mind that there's so many coaches throughout the entirety of the NCAA, good coaches, bad coaches, old coaches, new coaches, that are so unwilling to change what they do if, if there's a, a greater chance of success, you know, there's so many coaches out there and you don't see a lot of zone played, right? It's situational or that sort of thing. There's so many coaches out there that just, 
they, they coach man-to-man defense as their base and or or maybe a, a, a matchup zone or something like that and they don't I would think that it would be more prevalent for coaches to sit there and say, okay, the team that we're playing against is more than willing to shoot the three and they're not very good at it. So let's just let them do it and go to a zone or something like that. It's just, I struggle to see coaches be really be flexible and adaptable to their situations. It's more that everybody has the ego or the thought process that I'm going to force what we do and we're going to win with what we do. And it's just, it's odd to me. Well, it's it's interesting that you say that because if you look at it from the context of AM and what Buzz Williams have done, he is very much that way on defense. He has his cover two defense that if if y'all are interested, we I can get into the ins and out of, but it's it's crazy that that that's exactly what AM's gonna run, and they're gonna be good at that. Now, offensively, like I said, they're they're not even running offensive sets. Mm-hmm. They're 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 doing pickup game motion basketball, just trying to get a ball. And so I think to some extent he's doing that offensively, but he takes his pride in how his team plays defense and he will never alter from what. So yeah, I I agree. It's just interesting to see a coach do something this drastic on, on offense from an A&M perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you see K-State getting killed a lot is when teams spread them out. And especially when you've got, you know, such talented guys as like Texas and Baylor have where their guards can just take you one-on-one all day and they've done that you know does texas a&m have those kind of players that they could take advantage of that no <laughs> the answer is no but <laughs> a&m a&m's defense is very classically a, a team defense it's this weird i mean you're gonna when you see it you're gonna say it's a matchup zone but it's not it it emphasizes staying high pressuring high and packing into the middle of the court to keep paint touches away from the other team. They're going to be moving around. It's positionless. You're going to have the center guarding the the point guard at the top of the key when they get into rotation, because it's just man after man after man. And the backside three pointer is always going to be left open because they want the ball to get, they basically want to get ball movement going to where whoever has the ball sees, oh, this guy's open in the corner, dishes that guy, and the team takes a ton of corner threes, which you would think statistically would be low percentage, and that is one way to win, just making the other team jack up a bunch of corner threes in the game. But there's been times where teams now have seen that, work on that, and actually do hit a, enough corner threes that it kind of negates that whole defensive philosophy. But you're going to – if if they've done their homework, if Kansas State's done their homework, which I'm sure that they have, you will probably see more corner threes shots than you typically do in a game because that's what A&M leaves open. I'm less sure about that than you are, um, <laughs> State doing their homework. But I will tell yeah. you that we will happily oblige by chucking up corner threes because we have no problem yeah. – First open three we can find. It doesn't matter. It all their hands. It doesn't matter where they're standing on the floor. The second we have someone that has an open three, that ball's going towards the rim. <laughs> There's yeah. a few players. I, mean, I think I know the first half tonight, K-State had at least one corner three that didn't hit the rim. It didn't hit anything. Maybe a couple. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was kind of ugly. Um, and I mean, the lately, the lead is approaching. Like K-State turnovers, it hasn't. It hasn't even really meant uh, – it hasn't mattered what the defense was doing. Kansas State is just going to give them the ball anyway. So. 
Yeah, if you guys if you guys pressure the ball at all, I mean, we're super turnover prone. I mean, we have a really hard time hanging onto the ball. And like I said, we just – I can't even tell you what our offense looks like because I don't think they know what it looks like. They just uh... – A&M will pressure high in the half court mostly. They'll they'll institute kind of a half court trap at times. And when they need be, they'll go full court, um, kind of a full court zone press. They don't do it a ton and they'll, they'll kind of move in and out of it. So it could be something utilized, but I mean, it could also, you know, Ole Miss, I think was the second leading turnover team in the conference. And it turned into a turnover fest between the two of them. And it was kind of like, who could hold on to the ball for more than 15 seconds was going to win. And Ole Miss was ultimately did that. A&M's averaging 16.5 turnovers a game, I think, this year. I mean, it's it's pretty uh, unworldly. Our last game against West Virginia, we were uh, – where did we end up, Luke? We were on we were on pace in the first half. 28. To the record for turnovers. Oh, yeah, they had 17 in the first half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my favorite part was actually the K-State school record is 32. They did that in 1969, and they won that game. So that's a fun stat. That is a fun stat. I did not know that. I knew it was 32, but I didn't realize we won that game. It was a little before yeah. my time. Yeah. But yeah, it looks like K-State's not going to get the backdoor cover tonight. <laughs> the spread, I think, ended up around 24. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw it last week. Truly, one of the highlights of the Kansas State season. Texas had the ball up 17 could have just run the clock out, but instead one of their walk-ons decided to shoot three, airballs it. The spread was 17, and and the Texas guy goes jumps to save it inbounds to Kansas State. He passes it up court to the walk-on Joe Petrakis, who hits a layup at the buzzer to cover. To cover, so, to cover the spread, yeah, yeah. They made bad, bad beats on bad that beats one. RS. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the last time I looked at the score for our game tonight against Baylor, it was 77-35. So Baylor's yes. good, but we're 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 terrible. I forgot to do it while we were recording, so this seems like a good place to put in a quick ad and let you hear from our sponsors. I mean, like we talked about, you know, K-State's awful this year, and it's just it's the worst year for a rebuilding year in the Big 12. The conference is just so good to have, like, what, your top five teams are all in the top 15. Well, so, here was my argument. So I did a column on this last week, and there, there's a lot of times where a fan base can complain about a rebuilding year because it, it, you know, you have players X, Y, and Z on there. You're wasting a year of their eligibility. It's that and the other. But this year is actually probably the best year to have a rebuilding year because everybody can come back. It, it doesn't count. Like it counts, but it doesn't count. So yeah. that I, I did a whole column on like, yeah. No one in that in that locker room for AM is going to deny that this is a rebuilding year. I mean, heck, after the LSU game where they lost, where they didn't score a point for nine straight, almost 10 straight minutes, Buzz Williams was giddy in that press conference. And we kind of asked him about it. He was mm-hmm. like, I, I, at this point at where they are as a program and as a team, they, they can't necessarily be fully results driven. They have to be, they have to look at the minutia and, and for, what was it? Probably 17... 25 minutes of that game they played some of their best basketball of the season then they just decided that they were going to jump off a cliff and not score a point for 10 minutes and that's why they lost the game so he was giddy about the 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 steps they made um moving forward so you know 
they have everyone on the team can come back next year. They have a, a five-star recruit coming in next year and a, a six-nine center who will help their abysmal mm-hmm. front court. And everyone on the team can come back to try to compete for a position. I don't know if they will, but they should. And so everyone can get a do-over this season. So why not have a rebuilding year this year, you know? I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. And if uh, I think that that's that's kind of how K-State fans really looked at this season anyways. I mean, it's, it's no secret. We're super young. We're I think there's only like three or four other teams in the entire country that have a, a younger roster than we do. But, one of, you know, as the season has gone on, we, we saw the team slowly get better for a while. But probably what was it two or three weeks ago we really saw it, it might yeah. have started with the first Baylor game actually when we went when uh we got we got smoked by like 38 or something like that in Bramlage in Manhattan by, and it didn't feel that close and it didn't feel that close, <laughs> yeah by Baylor and ever since then like it really feels like the team's been in reverse like it's the games are getting sloppier um, you just don't see any confidence in, out of anybody on the floor. So I, I actually mentioned tonight, you know, as we were approaching halftime of, the, uh, of this game against Baylor tonight, I was like, I don't know how much more this this season's going to do us any good, even from an experience standpoint. Uh, the, the guys just look shell-shocked and lost at this point. And who kn- I, I don't know what's going on in practice or anything like that, but it's really hard to see that things turn around before the yeah. end of the season. Uh, I mean, like we were I'm talking about even the the, games. I'm saying turn around to the point like where we're even remotely competitive. <laughs> yeah. But that kind of goes back to my point. Like, do you need to be competitive this year? If you could be guaranteed that the experience. Well, game... I guess. My, yeah. I mean, my concern would be like, if you're just getting drilled every game, then how many guys are going to say, I don't want to be here anymore and leave at the end of the season. That'd be my biggest concern. Yes, that's true too. Yeah, especially when it's a bunch of young guys. I mean, the, yeah, it's and and that's you, you know I think the the biggest departure that we saw the, and it's it's proven out this season compared to if you go back to uh, the uh, the freshman season twenty thirteen freshman season of uh, Barry and Cam and uh, and Dean is that team had. So it, it it was a small nucleus, but it had a nucleus of leadership on that team. You had Wes Wundu, you had Justin Edwards, you had uh, DJ Johnson. All three of those guys are playing pro ball somewhere. You know, the Wundu's playing for the Mavericks. So it's so like you had yeah you had a really young team that year, but you had you had a group of kids that were leaders on that team already there. And while they, they didn't have a lot of success. They had someone on the court. They had people on the court at all times that could be a floor general. They had people on the court at all times, players that could lead the team, that could show the young guys the ropes and everything like that. We have Mike McGurl this year, and you know, I, I don't, I, I'm not dogging on the on the guy. He's not that. Like Mike McGurl is a role player. He's not a team leader. You know, and, and even as the season has gone on, we've seen him get sloppier we've seen him start to force things a lot more and everything like that there's just there's no floor leadership on this team right now and that actually concerns me you know talking about well yeah it's a it's a do-over if you will it's a great year to have a rebuilding year but the the key of rebuilding is actually doing some building and my fear is that we're not doing that right now that's that's true that's fair i I do believe that you can while a&m is is finding 
really crazy ways and, and easy, simple ways to lose games, you can see the foundations of a new program being put into place. And so there's probably a little bit more optimism in saying that in, in writing the season off than when you can't necessarily see the direction pointing up in the future too. Right. And in even going back to, uh, to Bruce Weber's time in Illinois and at Southern Illinois, his best teams, the teams that he has, that, that he has had the most success with are teams that have strong floor leadership. They've got a they've got a couple of juniors or seniors that know what the hell they're doing and are really good basketball players. Um, yeah. and, and you think of Deron Brown at Illinois. I mean, that kid, that guy was, a yeah, star. I mean, Darren Williams, right. Uh, at, at, mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. Illinois, but those years that he doesn't have that, his teams are terrible. They're abysmal. Like, and it's, it, you know, whether or not we should accept that from Bruce and that's just who he is or, you know, some, or, or, or look at a different direction that's up for debate, but it's pretty clear that he is, he is not good at coaching players on the floor. He has to have players on the floor coaching players in order for in order for there to be a lot of success i'll, I'll tell you there, there's one thing worse than losing 85 to 42 to baylor and that's just having to exist in the town of waco fair, <laughs> fair point i i i i appreciate the perspective yeah it's, yeah it's, it's it's astounding how they recruit so many guys there i i don't know hey, i man, mean i don't think, i don't think the magnolia I don't think the Magnolia market's attracting a whole lot of 18 to 25 year old males. Bags of money. Bags of money work wonders. I did have one other uh, matchup question I wanted to talk to you about, Travis. And you kind of you mentioned that the front court issues that AM has had. And you know, I look at the roster, they've got nobody. I mean, they've got one guy, I think, that, that plays a few minutes off the bench that get, that's like 6'10. But for the most part, they don't really have any guys that are taller than 6'8. They don't have a lot of guys that get a lot of blocks. You know, K-State's got a seven-footer in Davion Bradford, who is not very useful offensively outside of four feet. But inside of four feet, he's pretty good. You know, will he have some opportunities? To he will have He will have a field, he'll have a field day. So a <laughs> has three fives that they rotate through. Jonathan Aku, sophomore, Kevin Marfo, graduate transfer, and Luke McGee, walk-on junior. And so Marfo, they brought in this season. To, he was supposed to be the guy that was going to replace Josh Nebo, who was uh, their, their post-everything last year. He led actually led the NCAA in rebounding at Quinnipiac last season. So thought this guy was going to be a big physical presence. Man, he's he's a big body. Both him and Aku are big body guys. They're not they're not you know they're six eight or whatever you said, but they're they're strong. They're built like you know linebackers or, or defensive ends, and they you would think that they would be able to exert their will underneath the basket, but they play really soft and they don't really play great defense. I mean, you'll see. It's the first time I've ever seen a six eight guy who probably weighs what like two forty get bumped in the back during a rebound and do kind of the forward flop thing to draw a foul. That happened in the the LSU game with Jonathan Aku. They they've really struggled at the five position to the point where they are playing Luke McGee as a guy who's getting some minutes off the bench as a walk on who mm-hmm. I mean, isn't 
that I mean, he he came to AM just to walk on and you know be a part of the team, and he kind of would admit to that. And they, they've actually had so so much trouble boxing out on opponent free throws that he has his own specific role on the team that if they if the opponents are shooting free throws, a lot of time Luke will sub in to be a special teams free throw box out guy and just then play a couple of possessions from there to try to get a coup and, and Marfo some minutes. But I mean, yeah, I think everyone was really excited about Kevin Marfo with what he was able to do at Quinnipiac last year. And that's been about as big of a bust as you'll see of any kind of transfer. Fun fact. We have actually given up two extra free throws tonight to Baylor because of line violations. I mean, we're, we're, we're not, we're not even getting junior high rules, right? Right now. (laughs) Oh, so that was, that was the other great thing about that, that 28 turnovers, which by the way, tied a school record against big 12 teams, but the 28th turnover came from stepping over the end line on an inbounds pass. Yes. I remember when that happened, I just put my head in my hands. I was like, well, I mean, of course that was going to happen. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, it sounds like K-State could just lob it into Davion every time and it can't be worse than what they're doing, right? I think, I, I mean, they would, <laughs> they're going to really... Now, a defense is built to support fives and low because, I mean, they're going to pack the paint and rotate out from inside the paint. And I mean, they, they're going to do everything. They can even sometimes have as many as three players playing help side on, on a guy down low. If, if you get that touch down low, leaving the guys on the backside open. So if they play their system well, it supports the five and might give them a little bit more of a defensive chance. But yeah, I mean, if, if, if they can spread AM's defense out, get them in rotation and get him one-on-one with Marfo or Aku or McGee, I, I would put my money on, on K-State every time in that situation. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I had a couple other kind of random questions that I wanted to ask you. So first of all, we, we talked with a Texas guy a couple weeks ago in K-State played Texas. And, you know, we were kind of laughing about how even when Texas was in Lawrence, Beating up on Kansas, most of the Longhorns fan base was focused on the coaching search because there was, you know, some big news. That's when the news was breaking for their new coach. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he was saying, like, you know, when Texas basketball is bad, no one cares at all. And even when they're good, it's kind of a, oh, that's neat. Um, Mm -hmm. Is that kind of the way it is at A&M, too? 100%. A&M is a football baseball (laughs) school. Um, You will get packed houses at football, you will get packed houses at baseball. It takes AM playing for the conference championship against Kentucky in 2016 for them to actually fill Reed Arena. It's it's a very what have you done for me lately kind of basketball crowd. And not to mention, I mean, Buzz for everything that he's done to kind of revamp the program. He's not big on marketing. He's not going to get out there and shake hands and kiss babies. Not that anybody could do that right now or get on a lot of radio shows or do a lot of media availabilities. And, you know, we have Gary Blair down here, who's the hall of fame women's basketball coach who, when it's not COVID will be at the Cracker Barrel in the golden corral in town every week, handing out free tickets to his games. Buzz Williams isn't going to do that. And so it's the, the the fan base is going to get motivated by winning and they haven't done that. So, you know, LSU is A&M's as close as you can call a conference rival. Now you can say what you want about that. 
Um, it was the first game where the students were back on campus. So there was a pretty big student turnout on Tuesday, which was surprising. But outside of the student section, even in a socially distanced, reduced capacity type stadium, it, there wasn't that many people there. Um, and so they're going to have to win and win consistently to, to maintain interest because it's a football baseball school. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, kind of on a related note, I mean, Kansas State's the home team Saturday, which normally we might think of as an advantage, but this year it hasn't seemed to be much of an advantage at all. I think, um, well, Baylor's going to win the night, obviously. So that'll mean big 12 home teams are just teen and 23 now. And just for context, I mean, I think last year home teams were 58 and 32. So it's kind of a crazy difference. Um, I don't know if that's happening all across the nation. Do you know if that's going on in the SEC too, where home court advantage isn't really a thing? You know, I haven't tracked the actual numbers, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that when we've talked to the players about it, they've said it doesn't necessarily feel like, I mean, the only difference in home, home and away is that you get to sleep in your own bed in one and you don't have to yeah. fly on a plane. Otherwise it, it's kind of the same. I know, I mean, Honestly, and I haven't looked at the actual attendance numbers, but I would probably, because of how lax the COVID restrictions are around here, I would be surprised if last if Tuesday night wasn't about the biggest crowd AM's played in front of. And that's no knock. That's just because there was that many people who are allowed to be in the stadium. So yeah. let me pull up the I can pull up that attendance right now while we're thinking about it. And we've got breaking news. Yeah. We we officially served up a hundred burger to Baylor uh, with three points <laughs> in the game. That's so, a fifty point spread right there. That is that is. Yeah. Uh, so over so three fourteen left. They got one hundred and one points. What are we setting the over under for for them? Yikes! Uh, let's see. I mean, they probably got the walk ons in by now, so maybe a hundred. Uh, I'm gonna go one hundred and nine. Okay. Okay. I don't think they're going to get to 110. Yeah. You know, the aspect of the home road thing that I would really be interested in to see like a deep dive statistical analysis is, you know, we always talk about how officials are affected by the home crowds, especially at places like uh, Allen Fieldhouse, for example. <laughs> so I feel like you, you could maybe get some interesting information from this season to see if, if that's really made a difference. I don't know. I think you'd find some interesting things. Yeah, well, you've actually heard I don't know some. That's part of it or not? You've actually heard some of the commentators talk about it on on games with other uh, with other mm-hmm. conferences, and Duke immediately comes to mind. You know, with okay. uh, with Cameron sure. Indoor and, and whatnot, and just how how much of a factor the crowd actually is when it comes to the game and that sort of thing. And you know, when you pull that factor out, then all of a sudden it seems to be a little bit more fair. Yeah. Yeah, I'm scrolling through. So yeah, the, actually the two teams in the SEC that have averaged the highest attendance so far this season is Arkansas and Tennessee. And A&M has <laughs> not played at either of those places yet. So okay. yeah, the A&M's game wasn't in. I don't know if it's been put in or not. Let's see. This is as of, I don't know. But yeah, they're not in the top 25 or or what any of this is. Oklahoma State. Yeah on there for in Texas tech on there from the big 12, the Kansas state, Texas tech game had 3,523, which is about number 12 on this list. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, um, I guess this is probably where we'll, we'll let you go. Um, 
first of all, you know, I make a prediction for Saturday, how this game's going to go. Well, my, my money is always going to be on AM scoring 54 points. I think they did that three times in conference play so far. <laughs> so yeah, the first, the first to 55. Um, yeah, sounds about right. Win. So I, yeah, I, I, before you, you talked me into, when I was going to come on this show and say Anum was going to lose, but you've almost talked me into saying <laughs> that they might pull this one out. It's going to be low scoring. It's going to be low possession. Uh, I, I'll say AM wins and it's like 63 60. Okay. Yeah, I was kind of, I was kind of that like sixty to fifty-two range, you know, something like something like that. I think it is going to be, I, I think it is going to be low scoring. Um, I guarantee you, when the when the spread comes out, A and going to be favored. Um, yeah, and you know, we we managed to trip forward enough to score fifty points in a ball game. So, but I don't think we're going to get much past that, especially against a, especially against a team that's going to keep the possession count low. Mm-hmm. For what it's A&M worth, the, the ESPN's Basketball Power Index gives A&M a 56.4% chance to win. It is going to be a pillow fight. That's what it's going to be. Um, yeah. yeah, it's going to be – really and truly, the, the winner should be the team that turns the ball over less, not how many times you put in the basket, <laughs> just who turns the ball over yeah. less. Because, that, I mean, that, honestly, that's that be the key to the game. Goal. That's a hell of a goal. <laughs> yeah. Don't turn it over as much as they do. That's what both coaches should yeah. tell them. <laughs> yeah. 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 That sounds good. It's good all right, good Travis. Well, um, so... all the turnovers. Just back and yeah. forth and back and forth. Yeah. And, oh, hey, someone actually put up a shot. Yeah. So, so where can people, you know, find your stuff or follow you on Twitter? Sure. All my writing is on the eagle.com for the Bryan College Station Eagle down here. Little pro tip, little hack. We have a paywall, but we also have a site that's myaggynation.com that aggregates all of our Aggie stuff and that's free. So you can go on there okay. and, and see some of the stuff there too. My Twitter is at Travis underscore L underscore Brown. And yeah, and and just, you know, don't complain to me after the TCU game this year. That's That's all I ask. <laughs> all right sounds good well uh thanks for joining us we appreciate it thanks thanks guys really, uh, it was a lot of fun yeah thanks, so, thanks yeah, Eric. I yep. I I know. Know.